In 1899, two archaeologists, Arthur Hunt and Bernard Grenfell, were on an expedition in northern Egypt in an ancient town called Teptunis. It's now called Uma Barija. With funding from famed University of California benefactor Phoebe A. Hurst, they were searching for human mummies and other ancient artifacts. At the time, there was a Western fascination with ancient Egypt, later coined Egyptomania. Americans and Europeans were after all things Egyptian, especially human mummies, partly because the mummies represented the Western obsession with bringing the dead back to life. While the archaeologists and their team were excavating the town's subterranean cemeteries, they did find human mummies, but they also found other mummies, ones they didn't expect to find. Crocodile mummies. Instead of being excited about the discovery, they saw the reptilian mummies as a nuisance, getting in the way of what they really wanted. Rita Lucarelli is a professor of Egyptology in the Department of Near Eastern Studies at UC Berkeley. And there is even a story that at a certain point a workman was super frustrated, uh, yet another crocodile mummy, so he kind of threw it away. And the mummy uh, broke open and revealed that it was stuffed with papyri. Papyri is paper's earliest ancestor, made from the papyrus plant. And on the papyri that was stuffed inside of the mummies was text written by Egyptians thousands of years before. Suddenly, the archaeologists were interested in the crocodile mummies, but only for the papyri. So the team began to break open the mummies, remove the papyri, and then discard the crocodiles. Two years later, in 1901, what today is called the Phoebe A. Hearst Museum of Anthropology was founded at the University of California. Lucarelli is the museum's faculty curator of Egyptology. She says that up to 17,000 ancient Egyptian artifacts from various sites, including from that expedition in Teptunis, are kept at the museum. It's the largest Egyptian collection in North America. Among the artifacts are 19 crocodile mummies and mummy parts. Although the mummified crocodiles at the Hearst Museum are just a fraction of those discovered in Teptunis, they can still tell us a lot about the lives of everyday people in ancient Egypt. This is Fiat Box, a Berkeley News podcast. I'm Ann Bryce. Crocodiles were a constant threat to ancient Egyptians. They lived in all regions, in swamps and marshes and along the Nile River. And there were a ton of them. Some Egyptian tomb walls are decorated with scenes that show herdsmen performing these magical spells to ward off crocodiles before they cross the Nile with their cattle on wooden boats or platforms. The crocodile was seen as a very powerful animal. Uh, it could it could live on earth and in water. Uh, it could attack very quickly. It was very powerful and also unpredictable. And it had much physical strength because uh, male crocodiles are huge. They can uh, um, they can reach uh, the length of six meter. 
even. So they were really huge. Even some of these mummies are uh, really big mummies. And um, they are uh, carnivorous animals. Uh, uh, mostly uh, when in the wild, their, uh, their diet consists especially of fish, but they are really ready to attack whatever pass by. Lucarelli says that the mummies were likely used as votive offerings to the crocodile gods, given as a way to gain good favor with the giant, deadly reptiles. The main crocodile god was called Sobek, but there were many crocodile deities in antiquity. In Temptunus, there was a temple to Sobek marking the center of town. And so because of being so dangerous and being feared, uh, there was almost, I think, a need to see them as gods and to appease them. So by having a temple to the crocodile god, bringing offerings, this was a way to respect the aggressive character of these animals and uh, theoretically to use this power with benevolence uh, towards humankind. Also, crocodiles were very prolific, so they, they became also a symbol of fertility. Ancient Egyptians living along the Nile counted on the river to flood every August, spreading fertile soil to nourish their crops. The Egyptians feared that if they didn't make offerings to Sobek, he wouldn't produce a sufficient flood. There were crocodile priests who spent their days mummifying crocodiles and offering them to the gods. They meticulously wrapped the crocodiles with the same material and care that was used for human mummies, which shows how important these offerings were. To hold the mummy's shape, priests would stuff the mummies with waste papyri that had writing on it that people didn't have use for anymore. This waste papyri, plus other texts that were found in Teptunis, reveal what daily life was like for the ancient Egyptians. It's knowledge that's invaluable to social historians today. That's according to Andrew Hogan. He's a postdoctoral fellow at the Center for the Teptunis Papyri at the Bancroft Library at Berkeley. Often histories are sort of referred to as sort of great man political histories. And it's very easy, you know, early America go from Washington to Adams to Jefferson and so on. Those have been really done to death, I, I think. And one of the things that I find so invigorating and so fascinating about working with papyri is that you are really peeling away below the, the kind of the 1%, right? And so you're getting to the vast majority of the lived experience for most people in the ancient world. The center holds a collection of more than 26,000 pieces of papyri that was collected over several years across Egypt. It's the largest collection of Egyptian papyri in North America, and it's among the largest in the world. Although Hogan notes that the University of Michigan actually has more complete texts of Egyptian papyri. Hogan says there are two main groups of papyrus texts in the collection. Literary documents, including texts that have been lost to us, such as fragments of Sophocles' play Inachus or the Dictus Cretensis, a pseudo-chronicle of the Trojan War. And then there's the documentary evidence. The texts that, when put together, allow us to write a kind of history 
that you can't write anywhere else in the ancient world. With the documentary papyri, you have all sorts of different texts, uh, just thousands and thousands of them. So you get contracts and wills and official petitions. You get magic amulets. So you get sort of day-to-day ways that people would interact with religion. They kind of like make a prayer and then tie it up and wear it as an amulet on their neck. You get deeds and land registers, you get tax documents. And then on the other end of things, you get royal decrees that have come down and have been in different official capacities stored in in local offices. And then you get, you know, the, the really fun things like letters. In the letters, he says, people express many of the same emotions that we have today. The same fears about change, hopes for the future, even worries about money. He says it speaks to the universality of what it means to be human. I, I think that if you consider everything um, on a case-by-case basis, I think that we can really point to a, a sort of shared human experience rather than an unshared one. Today, there aren't nearly as many crocodiles in Egypt, says Lucarelli. They're mostly in the southern part of the Nile Valley. And although they're still dangerous, about 200 Egyptians die every year from crocodile attacks, people have more effective tools to defend themselves against the predators. A combination of factors led to the crocodiles decreasing in number. The Aswan Dam was built, plus climate change, pollution, overhunting, and habitat degradation. And also, Christianity and Islam spread throughout Egypt. These religions didn't value animals like the religion of its ancient inhabitants. With the advent of Christianity in Egypt, the Copts, they were also destroying a bit all these polytheistic iconographies of gods looking like animals. They were seen as demons. So with the advent of Christianity and then Islam, those the, 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 the indigenous polytheistic Egyptian religion died. And this is when also, of course, Sobek, uh, the, the crocodile god, was not uh, worshipped anymore. Lucarelli says that she hopes the museum can find a way to share the Egyptian collection with a wider audience, maybe in an exhibition on the Nile gods or the crocodiles of ancient Egypt. Although Sobek is no longer worshipped as the god of the Nile, he lives on, giving us insight into what life was like for everyday Egyptians more than 3,000 years ago. This is Fiat Vox, a Berkeley News podcast. I'm Anne Bryce, a podcast producer for the Office of Communications and Public Affairs. You can subscribe to Fiat Vox, spelled F-I-A-T-V-O-X, wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a moment, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps bring more visibility to the work that we do. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. It's a great way to get the word out. Also, check out our other podcast, Berkeley Talks, which features lectures and conversations at UC Berkeley. You can find all of our podcast episodes on Berkeley News at news.berkeley.edu slash podcasts.